We are finishing the book of Daniel today. You guys gave, oh, you gave me everything I wanted and more right there. I phrased it that way on purpose to see your reaction, and we literally had everything from either extreme and everything in the middle. Oh, that made my day. Hilarious. Okay, thank you. I'm blessed. We're done. We're done. Yeah, we're, we're good. We're done. Okay. We're finishing Daniel. We've been in the book of Daniel for the whole fall, and it has been uh, something. It's been a journey, an experience, a lot, perhaps. I had one brother last week. This was hilarious. This ministered to me last week. You know, last week we had the sermon of like, we went through all the things of history and God did this and he predicted this and it was just like a fire hose of information. One brother comes to me after the service last week and he goes, that was difficult. And I said, you're telling me, right? You're preaching to the choir. It's true. But this book has been so, so good for us. God has blessed us in his word, which is no surprise because that's what God does. In Daniel, we have seen, yes, a lot of stuff, a lot of large stuff, heavy stuff. We've seen a lot of stuff that's super relevant to our day in 2023, even though the book of Daniel was written over 2,500 years ago because that's God for you. We've seen quite a bit of prophecy in the book of Daniel. Uh, Some of those have already been fulfilled since the time of their writing. Some of them have yet to be fulfilled fulfilled even now all these years later. And we've talked about things like the end times in Daniel. Basically, we've had a little bit of everything. We've been buffet style in Daniel right here. You know what I'm saying? A little scoop of that, a little scoop of this. That's where we've been. And in the last final three chapters of this book of Daniel, 10, 11, and 12, we have been looking at the big picture. Somebody help me out and say the big picture. We're zoomed out, we're, we're taking a, a zoomed out 37,000 foot look at who God is, what God is doing, what's happening in the world, and how do we make sense of that, and where God is steering the ship that we're on called life and history. Because how many of you know God is over everything that's happening in history? Yeah, okay, good. Now, a couple of weeks ago in Daniel chapter 10, we talked about the reality of spiritual warfare. Remember we said that in addition to the known, seen, physical realm that we live in, there exists uh, an equally as real to that spiritual realm that we don't often see. And in that realm, there are heavenly beings and angels and there's demonic stuff and there's war happening. Yes, we believe in all of that. And, and sometimes the war that happens in the spiritual places spills over into what we experience in the physical realm. We talked about all that. Last week, we talked about how God is over all of world history, right? In this world that seems so chaotic and random and no one must be in control of this. No, no, God is still steering the ship where he wants it to go. We saw that last week. And today, as we close up this book, we are going to talk about what happens in the end, the end times, how appropriate for the end of the series, right? Somebody help me out again, say the end times, Some of you guys, when you say that, are perking up in your chair, and some of you guys are sinking down in your chair, and that's okay. That's all right. So let's open our Bibles. We're in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. Daniel 11, 40. We'll read to the end of chapter 11, and then all of chapter 12. Here it is. It starts out like this. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, with many ships. He shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. 
He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch, pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Then chapter 12 begins, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be what? Delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." And I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all of these things would be finished." I heard, but I did not understand. It happened to Daniel. It's okay if that happens to us, right? Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. As usual, when we read a chunk in Daniel, you kind of have to take a minute and decompress after you read it. Whew. Okay. Now... The thing about that text that we just read, it seems like, I wonder if you clocked this when we began reading it in verse 40 of chapter 11, it seems like you're picking up right in the middle of a story. Did it feel that way to you? Yeah. That's because that's exactly what we did, okay? It was supposed to feel that way. We have to just rewind to last week a little bit. Daniel chapter 11 is uh, all full of prophecy. That, again, this was 2,500 years ago, and it was all full of prophecy that saw the next three to 400 years of, of kings and kingdoms and history and culture and treachery and, and treason and politics and all of these things happening to God's people. Go back and listen to that if you missed it last week. They're all online. And it's talking, uh, Daniel chapter 11, what we read last week, kind of culminates with this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Remember talking about him last week? He was the king of uh, the Seleucid Empire that like, had broken off from the Greek kingdom. He was a wicked man, an evil king. He is known for his persecution of the Israelites and the Maccabean wars and revolt and all of this stuff. Guy was pretty terrible, and, but he is also a type. Somebody say type. 
He is sort of a forerunner. He, though he, yes, existed a couple of thousand years ago and did the things he did, and they're all in the history books, his rule and his reign actually is representative of something that's coming later as well. It happened back then, and it's going to sort of happen again later. Antiochus Epiphanes, who we talked about last week, he is a precursor to someone coming in the future called the Antichrist. We've talked about the Antichrist quite a bit in this series. And what we've said and we've seen is that the Antichrist is an end times, future world leader. He's going to rise up from sort of an inconspicuous place, but rise up to great power. He's going to lead sort of a coalition of nations. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but he's going to be a mighty earthly power, a mighty earthly king. And at first, his rule and his reign is going to seem just like normal political stuff, things that kings and kingdoms do, but partway through his reign, what we've seen and what we've read is that it's going to turn into a war on God's people. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. So yes, the tone here in Daniel 11, where we've picked up this morning, it changes from looking at the past, a guy like Antiochus Epiphanes, and now it's looking to the future, talking about the Antichrist. You see the double meaning there? So it's anti, some of you, the rest of you see the double meaning there. Okay, good, okay. Don't want to leave anybody behind. So this is looking ahead. What we're talking about today, this has not taken place yet, okay? So in the end times, I want to tell you eight things that are going to happen. Eight things. And I don't really fancy myself to be this deep, cutting-edge philosopher about the end times. I'm just going to tell you what's clearly written in the book right here. Does that sound good? What's just clearly there? So the first thing you need to know about the end times, when, when the end of this age that we live in uh, comes upon us, Uh, There's going to be violent conflict. How's that for encouraging right off the gate, right? Violent conflict. And this conflict is actually going to be centered in and around and near Israel. I'm going to show you in the text right here. Again, this is at the hands of the Antichrist and his kingdom and his powers and his forces. Verse 40 talks about nations fighting against each other. You look right here. The king of the south shall attack him. The king of the north shall rush upon him. It's like a whirlwind. It's a frenzy. Chariots and horsemen, many ships. He's going to come into countries and overflow and pass through. These are nations fighting against each other. We're going to see this uh, in the end. It says in verse 41 that the Antichrist is going to come into the glorious land. Anyone fancy a guess what the glorious land is talking about here? That's Israel. Yes, very good. He's going to come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. So again, it's graphic. It's kind of grisly, uh, but many people are going to die. It's not going to be a pleasant time to be around. God says though, but these shall be delivered. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. These locations are in present day Jordan, kind of next door to Israel. And they're going to largely be spared is what this says. This, this attack, this conflict is going to be focused right in and around Israel. It says in verse 42, this Antichrist is going to stretch out his hand against countries. This is continuing war. Egypt shall not escape. So it's going to spill down into Northern Africa. He's going to become the ruler of treasures of Egypt. He's going to be rich and getting richer. The Libyans and the Cushites shall follow. So Libya, still a country in northern Africa. The Cushites, that's in uh, present-day Ethiopia. So there's different nations. There's a presence in Africa, however that's going to look with the Antichrist. It says in verse 44, then news from the east and the north is going to alarm him. Now, it doesn't say who that's talking about explicitly, but we can use our imaginations. We can speculate. Maybe the east is talking about someone like China. Maybe the north is talking about someone like Russia, but we don't know. We speculate about that. In any case, he's going to come with fury to destroy many and devote many to destruction. 
right? Do you see his MO here? It's war. It's devastation. This is what's going to happen. And it says in verse 45, he's going to pitch his palatial tents. If you wonder what a palatial tent is, palatial means like a palace, right? Rich, royalty. That's what this Antichrist is going to set himself up as, almost like he's a god uh, high above everyone else. And he's going to pitch these tents between the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, and the holy mountain, that's Mount Zion in Jerusalem, which is in Israel. So do you see this? There's violent conflict that's going to happen. There's war, there's fighting, there's death. It's unpleasant. You good on that one? Okay. Second thing that's going to happen in the end times, wickedness will run rampant in the world. See that right there in verse 10? The wicked shall act wickedly. Seems pretty straightforward to me. Now, so in other words, though, in the end times, it's not just nations fighting against nations. It's not just governments and, you know, politics and all this. The wickedness is going to trickle right down to the level of the individual. Let's be honest. We already have that in the world, right? It's not going super great in the world, but this says that it's going to be even worse in the end. Places like Matthew 24 and 2 Timothy 3 says that in the end, lawlessness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. People will be violent and hateful and a whole litany of other things. Basically, it means this. In the end, people are going to be really, really bad. That's what that means. And yes, I know, like I say, we kind of live in that now, but this is saying it's going to get worse. Number three, while I'm encouraging you all right here, number three, there's going to be, yeah, that was funny. Thank you. There's going to be intense spiritual warfare in the end times. You see in verse one of chapter 12, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. We talked about Michael in the last couple of weeks. He is an angel. He's a heavenly being. He's actually an archangel. He's one of the highest ranking angels that there is. And anytime Michael appears in the scriptures, it's always in the context of fighting or struggle or some kind of conflict. So there's his name there. That means there's going to be conflict of a spiritual nature happening in the end times. Again, is there spiritual warfare happening in our day? You had better believe there is. And if you don't think there is, I would kindly invite you to pick your head up out of the sand, okay? I love you. You're welcome for that. Now, Again, there are and there will be things happening in the spiritual realm that's behind the curtain that we don't necessarily see as we see, you know, physically in this realm on the earth, but it's going to be happening and it's going to spill over into this realm. You should not be shocked in the end times when you see a strong increase of demonic oppression or things like anxiety or depression or addiction or torment. These things are going to ramp up. They're not going to ease as we get closer to the end. They're going to get worse. Still encouraged? Okay, no, somebody says, somebody, please stop. Don't worry, I'm coming. I'm just, we're getting here. Number four, in the end times, something that's gonna happen there is going to be massive persecution against Israel. Massive persecution. Again, in 12 uh, verse one, it says, there'll be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation. See, the nation is mentioned there. That's talking about Israel specifically. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be like literally, okay. You have to think about this for a minute. You think of all of the terrible things that the nation of Israel has endured over the years, like terrible stuff, and it says 
it's gonna be even more than we've ever seen before. My brain can't really get there, but that's what the word says, and I believe it. And look what it says uh, in verse 11 down here. It says, uh, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away. So one of the things that's gonna happen to the Israelites is that their worship is gonna be regulated. Someone's gonna come in, well, the Antichrist and his cronies, they're gonna come in, and the regular burnt offering, that might not mean a lot for you and I, but that's part of Israelite worship, like in the evening, every day, in the morning, every next day, and so on and so on. They offer sacrifices as part of their worship to atone for sin. That's, that's what they do. And someone's gonna come in and say, you're done, not happening. And it says the abomination that makes desolate will be set up. That's talking about there's going to be something, some sort of idol or false, uh, false god worship, something is going to be set up in the temple near the altar in the holy place. And it's going to be causing desolation. This is, again, maybe you don't hear that and care that much about it. This is like deep, deep, deep to the heart of who the Israelites are. This is a massive offense against them. And it says there'll be 1,290 days. This period of intense persecution is going to last for 1,290 days. If we convert that to years, that's three and a half years. And that's consistent with everything we've seen in Daniel so far. It's consistent with everything you see in Revelation. It either will say 1290 or 42 months or three and a half years or a time times and half a time. That's what it's talking about. It's gonna be really, really bad for the Israelites for three and a half years. Now, everybody take a breath. Right now though, we come to a turning point. If you ever watch, well, no, it's good. This stuff's all bad. There's a turning point. It's going to turn around and get better. If you ever watch sports, I watch TSN sometimes, and sometimes they'll come on with the TSN turning point, a.k.a. the game or the sporting event or the race was going one way, but then some major thing happened, and it changed the tide of the entire sporting event, the TSN turning point. Here's our TSN turning point right here. Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back. Now, it's funny. In what we read in Daniel 11 and 12, it does not explicitly mention anything about Jesus coming back. But this is the story of the Bible. This is plain to see in the rest of the scriptures. This whole thing, the whole end times, all of history, it begins and it ends and it hinges on Jesus Christ. He, you need to know this. He, God made you. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. But we have sinned against God. We have fallen short of his standard. We have rendered it possible for us to have a relationship with him. So now, because of all of the sin that we have and have done in our lives, we're cut off from that relationship. And that's literally the place we were supposed to be in all along. And now we can't live it. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? It's death. So you sin and you pay for it with your life. Sin is breaking God's law. And when you break the law, justice is served and you get your just desserts. That's what the Bible says. If we sin, we pay for it. We die. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whose name is... Jesus, Jesus came to the earth and he lived and he died. We're celebrating his coming to the earth at Christmas time here. He lived a perfect sinless life that we have failed to live. He died on a cross to pay for our sin because we can't pay for it. We can never do enough to make up our debt and to pay off our tab. We, we owe this debt. It's a crushing debt of sin to God. But Jesus took that for us on the cross. He died in your place as a sacrifice for you so that you could come out from under the that burden so that your sins could be forgiven so that you could be made new and born again and come into that relationship with God that you were designed to live in and Jesus died but not only that he what he rose he's not dead anymore he rose please clap for Jesus there yes right answer 
Jesus rose from the grave and he proved that he has the final word. He is greater. This whole thing begins and ends on his watch and he will not be told what to do or how to do it because he's God. Amen. So Jesus, it's all about, yeah, you can clap. It's cool. It's all right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jesus is coming. That's the TSN turning point. Okay. Jesus came once and he lived and he died and he ascended into heaven. That's where he is right now, ruling and reigning. And the Bible tells us clearly that he is coming back. And on his second coming, this is where this age that we live in is brought to a close. So I got four other things. Remember I said eight things. We've had our turning point. Now Jesus comes back and here's the next bunch. Number five. God's people will be delivered. See, that's a little better than the first four, isn't it? God's people will be delivered. Look, it says, verse one, at that time when Jesus comes back, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book. By the way, you can know if your name's written in the book. You don't have to go through life wondering. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you've surrendered your life to him and you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior and you've repented of your sin and you've been born again, your name's in the book. So this is a good day for you, okay? You say, okay, how are the people delivered? Well, their deliverer shows up. We as Christians, we as God's people, God's people everywhere, we're not going to be delivered because an election went the way we wanted. We're not gonna be delivered because the economy kicks back in. We're not gonna be delivered because global warming reverses itself. We're delivered because our savior and our deliverer comes back. That's where it comes from. Okay, we're good. And when Jesus comes back, by the way, let me tell you this. In his first coming, Christmas, we celebrate, you know, he's the little baby in the manger, humble. All of those things are wonderful for sure. And we celebrate those. That's not what it's gonna look like when he comes back the second time. I'm telling you, the Bible says he's coming. He's coming with the sound of a trumpet. He's coming on the clouds and, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to him. So it's looking a little different the second time around. And when Jesus comes back, number six, here's what's gonna happen in the end. The Antichrist will be destroyed. So here's this mighty king, this mighty evil ruler declaring war on God and his people. It clearly says he shall come to his end with none to help him. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 7, 11, which we read a few weeks ago. Antichrist is put down. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 literally says that Jesus Christ will kill him with the breath of his mouth. Okay, that sounds graphic and grisly, but this is a good thing for us. Jesus' enemies will lose. This is what this is saying. And again, this is the Bible. This is prophecy. This is God speaking. See, in our life, let's go to sports again. You don't know how the sports game is gonna turn out. You can usually assume the Leafs aren't gonna win it. Sorry. I'm going now, but I'm a Leafs fan. I can say that. It's okay. We don't know. We don't know how elections will turn out. We know how this will turn out. Jesus wins. Plain as day. The Antichrist is destroyed. Number seven, then, then the resurrection will happen. It says in verse two, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. I don't know what you'd call that. I'd call that resurrection. Just saying. That's what's gonna happen. So you need to know today, when you die, right? It's not just, oh, I'm buried in a hole in the ground and that's it for me. I had a good run and now I'm done. No. You better believe it's not, well, you know, uh, I die and then I'm gonna be reincarnated like a butterfly or some other pleasant figure. No, no. Here's what we believe. We're gonna die and then we're gonna be raised, just as Christ was raised, so will we be raised. That's what the Bible says. And then after the resurrection, number eight is this. Judgment will happen. 
Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, you say, well, some are going to, well, we're going to rise. How do you know if you're going to, how is it determined that you'll rise to life or death, to, to victory or to shame? Well, that's what the judgment's for, to sort all that out. The Bible tells us that one day you will die. Not being morbid. I'm just being a realist here. Either you are going to die or Jesus is going to come back. One of those two things will happen. Those are your only two options. And one day you will be raised and you will stand before God, before his throne. And you will give an account for your life. In some ways that sounds pretty ominous because I know some of the stuff I've done in my life. And you know some of the stuff that you've done in your life. However, the Bible tells us that if we belong to Jesus, when we stand before that throne, though, yes, we have done things that are wrong and sinful and foolish and damaging and hurtful and just wrong. Yes, we've sinned. But if you're a Christian, you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. You are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So if you belong to Jesus, you will stand before that throne and you will get a green check mark next to your name. Not because you're righteous enough, but because Jesus is righteous for you. Does that make sense? But... Now I'll get to the butt in a minute. I want to I unpack. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Look what it says here. Those who are wise, it talks about here. Those who are wise, do you want to know who that's talking about? It's talking about people who are smart enough to realize, oh, I'm not right with God and I can't save myself and one day I'm going to stand before him and it's not going to go well for me if I'm left on my own there. So a wise person here is someone who humbles themselves and repents and, and surrenders to Jesus Christ. That's who that's talking about. The, 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 those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. So in our eternal life, if you're a Christian, it's not just something that's going to last forever, like time-wise, which it will. It's eternal. It's going to last forever, which again, my brain, I, I can't compute that. I believe it, but my little peanut brain can't quite get there. But it's not just the passage of time. When it talks about eternal life here, it's talking about a quality of life as well. You're going to shine like the brightness of the sky above. You know what that means? In our eternal life, Christians, there's a vibrancy. There's a vitality. Some of the things that maybe you wrestle with and struggle with, I don't know, maybe your health is really bad here on the earth. Guess what? It's not going to be there. Like, what a day that will be, right? Your trick knee's not going to hurt anymore. Okay, I don't know. And it says, those who turn many to righteousness. So, that's a reminder right there, turning someone to righteousness. What that means is you come alongside someone else in this life, in this world, and you share the gospel with them. That's the only way to be made righteous. You're not made righteous by anything that you do, by you know, washing your hands enough times from the dirt, or you know, I'll do enough good things more than I've done bad things, or I'll go to church a lot, or I'll be really religious. None of that makes you righteous. Jesus makes you righteous. Your faith in Jesus makes you righteous. Now, it says turning other people to righteousness. That means you turn them to Jesus. You tell them about Jesus. This is speaking to the importance of us being witnesses about Jesus in this world. Look at that, it's buried in an end time sermon, but there it is, being witnesses in the world. And it says those who do that, those who are good witnesses, turn many to righteousness, will shine like the stars forever and ever and ever. Now, I'm gonna just, this is helpful, this is relevant. When you stand before God, if you're a Christian, and again, you get the green check mark, to heaven you shall go, what a day it will be. 
There is still something, though, at that judgment to be determined for you. It's not whether you go to heaven or hell. It's your degree of reward that you're going to get in heaven. I, I didn't know this for years. And my brain kind of went, well, I don't know. I'm a Christian. What does it really matter what I do here in this life now? Because I'm going to go and be with Jesus. Well, part of the reason it matters is because your reward's still being figured out. Let me say this. Heaven's going to be good for everybody who's there. It's not like there's, you know... You get the, uh, you get this, I don't know, the bad seats up at the top where you can't see anything. It's going to be good for everybody. But the Bible clearly tells us that we're issued different degrees of reward based on what we do here in this life as Christians. And what this is saying is people who are really good at witnessing, and not even good, that's the wrong word, people who are faithful in witnessing about Jesus, that's one of the factors that will go into determining your reward in heaven. Now, there are many right? God has lots of stuff for us to do in this life, right? Heads nodding at that. God has lots for you to do. If you sit around saying, I'm bored, you're not looking hard enough, okay? God has stuff for you to do. One of those things is witnessing, and that will factor into the reward that you get in heaven. And I, let me just say this. It's okay to want a really good reward. It's not like boastful. It's like, I want my reward in heaven to be awesome. Do you want your reward in heaven to be awesome? Right answer. There's part of the factor into that. Anyway, that's part of what happens at the judgment. But here's the but, like I was going to say earlier. It says that some will go to shame and everlasting contempt. See, a lot of people don't like to talk about this, which is wrong. We need to talk about this. If you go through this whole life and you never surrender to Jesus, if you never confess him as your Lord and Savior, if you... If, Savior, Savior, words. <laughs> if you never repent of your sin, if you're never born again, you'll stand before the throne too. Nobody gets around the throne. You're going there. But you will not stand there covered in Christ. You will stand there apart from his grace and apart from his forgiveness and apart from his mercy. And you will be left unshielded to pay for your sin yourself. That's what the Bible says. It's like this. You can either let Jesus pick up your tab for you or you can insist on paying for it yourself. So you need to know today, hell is a real place. Judgment is a real thing. Torment is a real reality. Shame and contempt are waiting for people who don't know Jesus. That's both a warning for you if you're hearing and it's also a stark reminder for us as Christians. We need to tell people about our Jesus so that this doesn't happen to them. Okay, because this is coming. This is, this is, we're on the track and that's at the end of the track for people. And we don't want that. We can't be okay with that. We got to do whatever we can. Okay, take another breath. You're doing great. Those are the things in Daniel 11 and 12 that we can clearly see about the end times. These are things that are going to happen. These are fixed things in history. If you are any sort of an end times connoisseur, you, you research this stuff, you're going to say to me right now, Braden, wait a minute. There's so much we didn't talk about. Yes, you're right. Some of you maybe that aren't as uh, adept in the end time stuff, you're going, oh my word, when is this guy going to stop? This is already enough. This is too much. So some of you are saying this is not enough and some of you are saying turn the tap off, Okay. It's okay. It is a good start. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to just like slowly begin winding this thing down now, slowly. What I want to tell you and encourage you with is this. What are we supposed to do 
in the meantime? What are we supposed to do while we wait for all of this to happen? Because this is coming. And, and, and time is moving. And every day that passes gets closer to when this stuff's going to happen. What do we do in the meantime? I got three things for you about that. Number one is this. While we wait for the end times to come, huh, you, someone will be offended for me saying this, but that's okay. You got to understand that you won't understand everything. If you think you know everything about the end times, I'm sorry, you don't. Daniel, I love this. And Daniel, okay. Daniel gets this whole vision about the end. Remember, Daniel is a wise man. Right? He, he's a man of God. He's been walking with the Lord his whole life. He's now an old man. And he sees this vision. He would, he would be what you would classify as spiritually mature. And he sees the vision and he goes, uh, I, I don't understand. That's literally what he says. I don't get this. Can someone please rewind, like, far back so you can tell me what's happening here? And you know what's funny? The angel says, no, I'm not telling you anymore. <laughs> it's too bad. But, but like, don't, don't miss that. That's an okay response when you see this stuff. I don't understand. Okay? Some of you are on the other side, and you have studied this. I've had conversations with you guys. Some of you guys are very knowledgeable and adept in end times theology. You're of the camp. It says, I think in verse four of chapter 12 of Daniel, uh, about knowledge will increase. Some of you guys, your knowledge on the end times is, is up there pretty good. But you still don't know it all. You still don't know it all. And by the way, I'm a hard yes for study and research and equipping yourself. Burying your head in the sand about the end times helps nobody. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone else. Not the right response. So yes to study. Let's grow in this. But I love what it says in Daniel 12. A couple of times this refrain is echoed. The book is sealed and shut up. The book is closed, right? We, we, we want to look for more answers. And we can fill in some details from other places in Scripture too. But at some point, there's some kind of a wall we get. And this is all we know because God doesn't always tell us every single thing because our minds might explode, Okay? Daniel here is expected to walk by faith to some degree. He gets some of this. He doesn't get it all. But God says to him, it's okay. God says that to you as well. We walk by faith and not by sight all the time, right? And I want to tell you this. There are some things about the end times that are what I would call open-handed, open-ended. There's a couple or a few or several different interpretations about what and how things could be. So here's the thing about the Bible, some things are crystal clear. And people that argue against them, come on now, right? And these are things that we need to agree on, right? Who is Jesus? The Bible is the inspired word of God. All, you know, one day Jesus is coming back. All these things are things we need to agree on. But there are certain things, particularly even about the end times, that faithful, Bible-reading, Jesus-loving, heaven-bound Christians will read, and they'll read it differently, and it's funny, because again, I've talked to you guys about this. I know that there are differing viewpoints even in this room. There are things that you can read your Bible. It's not like you read you know, Time Magazine, and that's what I think about the end times. You can read your Bible and come to a different conclusion as someone else that's read their Bible about certain aspects of the end times. For instance, for instance, this is just a for instance, not exhaustive, 
We didn't even talk about, you know, what happens to Israel in the end, and is all Israel saved, or are they not all saved? Or, or we didn't even talk about something like the rapture, which is always a, a hilariously interesting conversation among Christians, right? Some Christians believe, yeah, we're going to be gone. We're going to be taken away and raptured before this even happens. Some say, no, we're going to be here for it. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about something like, it's called the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. You can read about that. And, and some people say, yes, there's going to be a literal 1,000 years on the earth. Jesus rules and reigns. Some people say, no, it's symbolic 1,000 years. Is your head spinning yet? Okay. These are all really important questions and really big conversations. But my point is, we as Christians need to be okay if we disagree on some of these things. Because as important as they are, they're open-handed and open-ended. And even for me, like I'll be just honest and vulnerable with you for a second. I'm not going to bet my life savings on everything that I think about the end times. I have an opinion and, and my, I would even say ignorance about it because for a long time I was the head in the sand guy and we just won't pretend, we just doesn't exist so I won't have to deal with it. Wasn't helpful. But as I've researched this and studied this and have sought wisdom on this, I have my convictions about what I think is going to happen, right? But I'm not going to bet money on it because I could be wrong. And that's okay. We still need to love each other and have fellowship with each other regardless. You tracking with me? Does this make sense? But the essentials of the end times, we've talked about them today, crystal clear. Crystal clear. Right in the, right in the book. The world is getting worse. Uh, the Antichrist is going to come. Jesus shows up. Jesus destroys him. Jesus sets up shop on a throne. Resurrection happens. Judgment happens. We better agree on those things in here. I'm just telling you. But you need to be uh, okay knowing that you won't understand everything. Have I humbled you a little bit now? Okay, second thing you need to do while you wait for the end times to happen is this. Friend, you gotta repent and get yourself right with God because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. If the Bible said on this day at this time, you know, here's when it's gonna happen, okay, you could get ahead of this and I'm not saying this is a good idea but you could choose to just repent at the last minute because you, no, you don't know though. You don't know. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed the next minute. So while today is called today, you need to make sure you're on the right side of this. It says here, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Okay, you can't purify yourself. Jesus purifies you, but that's talking about making the decision to allow Jesus to purify you and save you. Many shall do that. But it says the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. Listen to me, if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you that you are, you know, you're going through this life without him and apart from his grace and apart from his mercy and you think I'm doing just fine on my own. You're not and you're deceived. I'm just telling you. And I'm telling you that because I love you, by the way. That's not an insult. That's something you need to hear. If you go through this life without Jesus, not only are you missing the point of this life because you were made by him and for him, you are positioning yourself in the worst possible way for what happens in the end. Because like we talked about, you will be uncovered and unprotected in the end. So while today is called today, surrender to Jesus, trust in Jesus, confess him as your Lord and Savior. If you don't even know what that means, come and talk to me afterward. I would love to talk to you and pray with you about that because it's something you need to do. You need to make sure, and you can have confidence in this. You need to make sure that your name is written in his book. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna brag on Jesus here. My name is written in the book. And it's not because this guy right here is any good at all. 
My name is written in the book because of Jesus and what he's done for me. And I, I'll be honest with you. I am not afraid of the end times. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not in a hurry for it, mind you. I got lots to live for. But when that day comes for me, bring it on. I'm gonna be fine. And I want you to have the same confidence. I talked to someone here two weeks ago and they said, I am so afraid of all this stuff that's coming. That's tragic. You don't have to be. You can have confidence in Jesus, but you gotta turn to him today. Don't put it off. You don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Do it now. And the third thing is this, while we wait for the end times, we keep living life today while keeping the end in mind. I love, I love that a couple times in the text we read today, it's right here, it says to Daniel, go your way, Daniel. Daniel's like, I need more information. I don't understand. Someone give me a cheat sheet about this. Go your way, it says. Look at that, go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So yes, that acknowledges the end of the days is coming, right? It's important. Let's not be ignorant. Let's be thinking about it and considering it and be ready for it, right? But... That's saying, until then, go your way. You have things to do in the here and now. Don't just sit on your rear end and wait for the sky to open up like God has a life for you today, right? Live in that balance, right? First and foremost, get yourself right with God like we talked about. But in addition to that, God has given you so much to do and responsibility. So walk with God as long as today is called today. Seek him, abide in your relationship with Jesus today while you wait for this to happen. You, you, have a family probably to love and support and provide for and care for and, and spend time with. Like do that, that's important. You have a job maybe. Go, go work hard at your job while you wait for this to happen. Love and serve other people while you wait for this to happen. Enjoy the blessings God has given into your basket uh, while you wait for this to happen. Enjoy meaningful relationships that you have with people. These aren't for nothing use them, work in those fields, enjoy the relationships while you wait for this to happen. Engage deeply with a church community while you wait for the end times to happen. Witness well to other people while you wait for the end times to happen. Make good memories, eat good food, I don't know, but make something of today while it's called today, all the while looking forward to that day. Yes, it's coming, yes, it's, it's, we're on track for it. And every day that passes brings us closer. But until then, friends, we live with our eyes on the future, but also our feet and our heart and our hands planted in today. You see that today? Because this is where God has placed you right now. So let's make the most of it. That's what I'm saying. How's my time? I'm okay. I wanted to do one bonus thing to close. I love you guys, man. This was Daniel. This was the book of Daniel. Look at all the ground we've covered in the last 12 weeks. It's been amazing. How I wanted to end is with a super quick 60 to 90 second flyover recap from 37,000 feet about some of the high points we've talked about in Daniel. So are you ready? I'm gonna chuck them at you fast. In Daniel, we have seen that we live in a broken, fallen world, in the midst of a broken and fallen culture. We should not be shocked that things are bad all around us. We've seen in Daniel that God is still God in the midst of the fallen world and the fallen culture. That would be appropriate to give him some praise for that. He's still God. 
We have seen in Daniel that we as Christians can still be faithful to God in the midst of the fallen world and culture. We don't have to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We have seen in Daniel that God continually shows up for those who are faithful to him. Amen. Give him some praise again. Come on. We're excited. We have seen in Daniel that though the world is dark and everything seems random and chaotic and out of control, God is still on his throne, ruling and reigning over it all. Some more praise for him, please. We have seen in Daniel that God knows about everything that happens in the world. Nothing slips past him. He is either causing it or using it to further his purposes. The ship is going where God is directing it to go. Please praise him again. We have seen in Daniel that there is an appointed end to this fallen and broken age that we live in. And every day that passes brings us closer to it. We have seen in Daniel that we can expect things to get darker and darker the closer we get to the end. But we have seen in Daniel that when this age comes to a close, and listen to me, it's going to come to a close not because of global warming or because AI took over the world. This age comes to a close when Jesus decides it's time to come back. We've seen that in Daniel. And we have seen that when Jesus comes back, he will totally and authoritatively and decisively defeat his enemies and set up shop on a throne where he will rule and reign forever and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. So this story of Daniel ends well if you are on team Jesus. So give him some praise one more time. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes, God.